Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Fanduel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again, the first time in a little while with Jimmy Stein. Jimmy, how are we doing today, man? And I'm fired up. This is a great, not only is it a great month for Alabama football, because there's significant events apart from the scrimmages. And we're going to talk about, you know, the first scrimmage today, but there's a day. There's also the NFL draft. So April is kind of one of those uh, under the radar, great football months, probably the best football month of the year. That's not, uh, you know, in season. Yeah. First of all, I don't understand how everything's getting thrown all over each other. Now, granted, you might not care anything about the USFL. But it's supposed to start, the opening week is supposed to be on April 16th, the same weekend as Alabama's A-Day, which if you don't know, it's also the same weekend as Easter. So right. this talk about a weekend, man. Um, granted, I'm, we're, we're going to be at A-Day. We're going to be grinding, working hard. Uh, but I don't know what the USFL was thinking, putting it on Easter weekend and then also fighting which, I mean, I guess scheduling purposes, they might have not known when Alabama was going to hold their A-Day game. I don't remember when they announced the schedule, when they built it. But I got a feeling in this state, the entire USFL schedule is happening, being played in Birmingham, Alabama. Where do you think everybody's going to be on Saturday, April 16th? They're either going to be in front of their TV watching the A-Day game, or they're going to be at Bryant-Denny Stadium watching mm-hmm. the A-Day game. So uh, not a great move, Bob. Unfortunate, but 
anyways, that's not what we're here to talk about. We are here to talk about Alabama football. They had a scrimmage on Saturday, their first of three of the spring. Now, you know, kind of at that halfway point, just past the halfway point of spring. So we're going to be doing periodically some podcasts. I don't want to sit here and tell people, oh, we're going to get back on this really consistent schedule. It's the offseason. Jimmy's super busy with stuff. I'm super busy. We're trying to make some transitions, but we are going to start trying to get at least one out a week. Uh, I think will be the goal this week. We might end up having a couple because there's a lot to react to, but, and we'll certainly do more. We'll do some leading up to day day game, kind of finalizing, you know, rosters and what those are going to look like. We'll break that down. We'll talk about what else we've been hearing and seeing, and then we'll also break down the A day game because we'll get to see every rep in there and we'll get to see where guys line up. We'll have plenty of information to break down for you guys. It's just the information is very limited. Nick Saban is very good at what he does. Not only is he good at coaching football, he's good at keeping you from knowing what's happening behind the scenes of the football team that he's coaching. Uh, probably does a better job of that than anybody in the country. I saw those Georgia guys for uh, on three and for 24-7 sports, and, and they were just talking about getting to go to Georgia practices and getting to see, you know, three or four periods worth of practice. And I'm like, man, uh, I can only imagine what that would be like. But we did it to ourselves. We were way too observant in the media viewing periods. We were all marking down numbers and seeing who was out, who wasn't out there. And the, I'm pretty sure the Shane Lee thing last year when he wasn't at, at that one practice and people started putting it out. And then from there, people started wildly speculating that he was transferring and I just don't think that's ever going to go over very well with Nick Saban because that's people that run with those rumors and, and attach meaning to it are very rarely right. And so he shut it down and not a whole lot gets to be seen, but that it is what it is. But Jimmy, just initial reactions to, you know, we'll start with the offensive line. I think that's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. A lot going on there. Nick Saban, you know, he mentioned that two starters were out, three mm-hmm. total offensive linemen. And I could just be drawing a blank here because I, I didn't really go d- try to dive into it. Maybe I have heard and I just forgot. I know that one of them is Darian Dalcourt. Nick Saban mentioned him by name. I don't know if he ever explicitly mentioned Emil Ikior, but I know that he's the other. It's funny. I mean, anybody that was wondering what his status was as far as playing, first of all, you didn't see him in any of those practice videos or anything like that. Right. Secondly, Shinara. What's his, what's his first name? The big lawyer? Alexander Shannara. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he posted some photos on Facebook of him at an Alabama practice, and you see Emil Ikior Jr. in the background in a black non-contact jersey. So anybody that was curious about what was going on with old Emil Ikior, Shannara's got you covered like he does with everything else. Um, <laughs> and so we know that he's the other one that's out, the starter. Do you know who the third guy is? I do not know who the third guy is, but I don't believe – uh, I don't believe it's of someone uh, hugely significant. I, I don't, and by that I mean I don't believe the thir- uh, the third guy out is someone that we would consider a projected starter. But I, I do not know uh, who it is. We know that Tommy Brockermeyer, uh, we know this has been banged up at times uh, in his career at Alabama, so uh, that's possible. Uh, a name we haven't heard a lot of is Jaden Roberts. Uh, you know, in terms of pictures or, you know, it could be someone else, you know, him or like him or even, uh, you know, that, but it's speculation. So I, so I don't really know. I I don't believe it's someone we would project as a starter right now. 
Yeah, I was just trying to think. I know that we and I we we have seen some Jaden Roberts early on. We haven't, yeah. I guess, recently. Yeah, the third guy, by the way, I don't believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe you do know this. Uh the third guy that's hurt, I don't think practiced Saturday, but it's not a guy that's out for the whole spring. Right. And that's right. very important to I'm trying to think of I, I don't know who it is. And at this point, I don't really think we know the guys who are really in the competition and there's a bunch of them. There's like 10, 11, 12 offensive linemen right now who you can say right now, I would not be shocked if, I mean, that even goes all the way down to Terrence Ferguson and, you know, Jaden Roberts and Tommy Brockermeyer. There are so many down there that you would say, Hey, if he ends up becoming a starter, that would not shock me whatsoever. Right. I don't think it's any of those guys because we've seen a lot of them. You know, we saw Tommy Brockermeyer in a picture. Uh, we saw, you know, we've seen, um, you know, Tanner Bowles. I've seen him, you know, going through some drills. Now, granted, it could be something that happened recently where right. they just got held out of the scrimmage. So, I mean, we're not going to try to speculate too much on that. Uh, I just had wondered if, if we knew because anytime he brings up a number of guys who are hurt or the two starters, you can gather, you know, who those are, which I thought it was interesting. Now, granted, he referenced Darian Dalcourt being a starter. He didn't say he's in a competition to be the starter. You don't want to read too much into stuff and the way things are phrased sometimes. And he did start multiple, you know, a, a lot of games last year for Alabama. But I just wondered, did you take anything away from that as far as him already listing him as a starter? Or you, do you think he was just referring to a guy who started games last year being out? The BB, I, I, that, that's how I took it. I didn't right. take it didn't take it as a definitive statement that, hey, when Dow Court's back, he's going to be in the starting lineup. I, I took it as in they consider him a starter. You know, when when Nick Saban talks about starters as a whole over the years, in, in my mind, he's not talking about 22 guys that have a, the designation of starter that there's 22. I think with Nick, it's always more than 22. It's players that play with the ones or players who have played with the ones. Uh, I know this sounds crazy to people, but it helps me understand this. You know, when the team travels, particularly to the stadium for a game, but when the team travels, they're on three buses. I mean, this is literally how it happens. The first team is on the first bus, offense and defense, the first team. The second team is the older kids, and then the third team is just kind of spillover. Um, but that I think Nick calls everyone that's on that first bus a starter. And, yeah. And, and, there's more than 22 guys on the first bus. There's really more like 30 uh, kids, I think, that get on that first bus, and those are the starters to Nick. And if Seth McLaughlin is the starting center this fall, and I personally expect him to be, but if Seth's the starting center, uh, I bet Dalcourt's on that first bus. Yes, completely agree. And the reason that I brought it up that way, someone got very upset at me because of that comment from Nick Saban, mm -hmm. the fact that I referred to Seth McLaughlin as – the starting center. And he, I even told him after the fact, I was like, well, I mean, I am projecting him to be the starting center. So that's kind of the way I'm going to refer to him, but he's the starting center right now because Darian Dalcourt's out. But their point was, well, Nick Saban literally referred to Darian Dalcourt as the starter in that mm -hmm. comment. And I was like, I mean, you're technically not wrong, but I don't think, you know, so for, for anybody out there that thinks that that was telling something, I always like to dive into those things that I run, run into. I, well, I engage Another good example, buddy, is uh, Tim Smith, um, DJ Dale, Byron Young, and Justin DeBoigby. I, I, I will assure anyone, I bet Nick Saban refers to all four of them as starters, and we don't play 
with four down linemen on the field at one time. We don't. You, sometimes it's two. Oftentimes it's three. It's never four. But I bet he calls Smith, Dale, Aboigby, and Young starters because all four of them consistently play snaps with the starting unit. And they, you know, have gotten starts. You know, I mean, Tim Smith got two starts last year. Now it was due to injury. But you're 100% right. When you combine those two things, technically last year, Tim Smith was a starter. Doesn't mean he was the starter for every game, but he was a starter in some games. But just wanted to kind of get that out of the way. And this is what I'll let everybody think of this. Let's say the start, the first play of the game is a kickoff to Alabama, and JoJo Earl is the kick returner, or actually it's going to be Jameer Gibbs, I bet. So Gibbs returns the kick. And, and he returns at 99 yards. Somehow they have some freakish player that somehow manages to catch Gibbs and gets him out of the one-yard line. So the first snap of the game on offense, it's first and goal at the one. You know who's a starter at tight end? Kendall Randolph. Yep. Robbie, now they're starters. Because they play with the ones when we're in goal line. That's why Nick refers to all of them as starters. Now, would they be in the game if it was first and 10 from the 30 or first and 10 from the 25? No. But if it's first and goal at the one, they start the game, right? So that's why there's more than 22 starters. Well, I mean, and you look at Dallas Turner this past year. I mean, when you actually look at it, Dallas Turner was a mm-hmm. starter last year once the injuries happened to Drew Sanders and Chris Rowland, correct? That's correct. He started yep. three games. That's just te- technically he was out there for the first snap only three times, but everybody considered him a starter. He might only start half of the games this upcoming year because they might have a package where they have three true defensive linemen on the field and the one outside linebacker is Will Anderson. And if that's the case, Dallas Turner doesn't start that game. Do you consider him a starter? A hundred percent you do. So, yeah. If we started nickel, Brian Branch is a starter. If we started dime, then the fifth and sixth defensive backs started the game. It's just who's – that's what everybody – you know, what I encourage how – people should look at the lineup who plays with the ones by that by ones. I mean, the first team, the first team plays under Nick Saban for 15 years. The first team plays until the game is decided who all plays with the ones. And that's, those are your starters, whether they're out there for the first snap or not. 100% agree. And so with the offensive line, you know, because you've got Emil Ikior out, you've got Darian Dowcourt out. You've got another random offensive lineman, out four of Alabama's top five offensive linemen last year in snaps played and starts Evan Neal, Emil Ikior, Chris Owens, and Darian Dalcourt. All four of those guys are either gone or out, even though two of those four players are going to be there, we think available in the fall. Mm-hmm. That has per- really the only guy who has not been out or gone that was a, a heavy part of that starting rotation or at least the top five guys is JV and Cohen. And a lot of people just wondered, you know, is he playing left tackle? Is he playing left guard? Is he playing right tackle? You know, kind of where is he going to be lining up at? I think they've played him some at left tackle. Um, right. But I think right now, I think things are trending towards him staying at left guard. We'll, we'll right. kind of have to see. But the good part about there's always a silver lining. There's always a positive. And Nick Saban talked about this in his press conference. But having some of those players out, it's presenting opportunities. You know, Seth McLaughlin got, I think, three or four starts last year. You know, Damian George got, I think, three starts last year. J.C. Latham didn't start any games, but he played over 100 snaps. Amari Kite played 65 or 66 snaps, if I'm not mistaken. 
this is presenting all of those guys the opportunity to work with the first team offensive line. Go when you're going best on best, going against the first team defense. That defensive front for Alabama is pretty good, and it's getting them some good work. Once you get guys like Emil Ikior back, who I personally think is going to come back and immediately be inserted back into the starting lineup, probably at right guard, then you've also gotten Damian George all these reps at right guard. That's better prepared him. You kind of help your depth. You know, something happens to Ikior, you've got a guy who's ready to step up. So it has been very beneficial, in my opinion, in some ways for those players. Now, you're hurting your potential starting lineup. It'd be awesome if everybody was healthy and they could go ahead and be gelling and really hit their stride come fall camp. But you'll have time to do that in fall camp. And right now you're getting some other guys, you know, some very important quality reps. And here's, you know, I'm pretty confident today. Now things can change, of course. And and I don't, I not only I'm saying things can change, they almost certainly will change. But today I feel pretty confident in what what I think will be the starting five versus Utah State. And, and I, I'm 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 growing some confidence in the unit. And this is one of the reasons I want to ask you your opinion on this is. My projected start lineup for, for Utah State would include Javion Cohen at left guard, Seth McLaughlin at center, and Emil Echior at right guard, assuming they're healthy. This is, in essence, the starting interior line from second half of Auburn on until some injuries happen. But that's kind of who we were going with in the postseason last year uh, until, of course, Echior got hurt in the Cincinnati game. Um should we as 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 fans, should the fans feel good that the interior of the offensive line will be better than a year ago if it is Cohen, McLaughlin, Ekior? 100%. You know, Cohen was still adjusting the guard. Emil Ekior, he had played both left and right guard, but he had primarily played a lot of left guard. He was playing right guard. Seth McLaughlin was getting his feet wet as far as being a starter. I think he started way sooner in his career than a lot of people anticipated or expected. They looked at that star next to his name, and they assumed that Alabama was going to get very mediocre play from that spot. I think he proved the importance of good communication with your offensive line because athletically and just from physical traits and talent, I don't think that he is the most impressive offensive lineman Alabama has. I don't even think he's in the top five in that category. Neither was Barrett Jones, by the way. A ton of versatility, but it would, I mean, was he, there's a reason he, he got drafted in the fourth round after being Mr. Everything in Alabama at multiple positions. And there's a reason that he didn't survive in the NFL very long. And that's not me knocking him. It's that physically, his physical traits, what it took to play football at a high level, he didn't possess a lot of that. His versatility, his athleticism, his, his hard work, but his ability to communicate with his teammates and be an effective player working in unison with other guys he could do that at an extremely high level, and that was important. We've seen that from other players. I don't think Rosh Piercebacher was ever anything special in that regard. Bradley Bozeman has made the most of his. I, I also think he's one of those type of players. Ends up going in the sixth round, has carved out a pretty nice career with the Baltimore Ravens. Now he's signed with the Carolina Panthers to probably be a starter on a one-year deal. So he's made the most of his opportunities after being a sixth-round pick. But I see Seth McLaughlin in that type of role, not a guy that I think is going to get drafted super high, even though he could. I just think that the physical limitations to some of his, you know, he works to the second level well. I think he's athletic in that regard. I think he's strong at the point of attack, or at least, you know, holding up at the point of attack when, you know, he's going against interior defensive linemen. I'm not saying that he's 
bad in any of those areas. I just don't think he's the most impressive that Alabama has, but I think he's a very, very important piece of the offensive line. And just having that unison after playing together, you know, like they did last year, I think that's important. And then also from what I heard early on, JC Latham was playing some right guard. And that made sense because he was the second team right guard with Emil Ikior out last year. Emil right. Ikior has not been playing in the spring. So it made sense to have J.C. Latham in there. But then you start to think, well, when Ikior comes back, he's going to be put back in that spot. Let's try to get Latham some action at, at some other spots and see if he can grow long-term into another spot. And I think he's growing very well at right tackle. Uh, I don't know what you've heard about him, but I've been hearing some some decent things in the limited amount that I've been able to get. So I think that's fairly promising. Exactly. Like I said, uh, you know, Cohen, McLaughlin, Echior as a projected interior, I would include in terms of projection, J.C. Latham being the starting right tackle, which is exciting um, because, you know, what we're trying to do is improve over last year, right? I mean, the offensive line was sort of, maybe the weakest unit on the team a year ago. And, and, and we've, the, the trick is how are we going to improve despite losing the best player uh, in Evan Neal? And uh, J.C. Latham at right tackle is exciting because I don't know, no one can sit here and say with certainty that we're going to be better at right tackle than we were a year ago. But I think most uh, football folks would agree that the upside, the talent level uh, is higher at right tackle this year with Latham than it was last year with Owens and George. I think we all agree that Latham physically uh, has ability and talent and athleticism that those other guys didn't have. So we could be uh, improved at right tackle. Uh, Latham still has to know his assignments, uh, get, get all that down, and at the same time prove he can block speed edge rushers, something he did not have to do at guard uh, last year. Uh, now, Latham, I think he projects – to do that well, but that's different than actually doing it. So uh, I'm excited about J.C. Latham at right tackle, but but I, I hope people understand that uh, we're hoping he's good. We're hoping he's good. You, you Sometimes you know, I think we know what we've got in Ecuador. I mean, we know him. We know what we've got there, and, and we can hope for what I would call developmental improvement, which means most kids – get better each year. Most kids do. They, they don't get better by leaps and bounds. Some kids do. But the typical college football player, I believe, uh, whether they're playing or not, gets a little better every year they're there. And if Ecuador gets a little better again, then we got ourselves a really good right guard. Um, J.C. Latham, uh, you know, we don't know what we've got. We have reason to believe he may be great. But until he does it, you don't know for sure. Yeah, you really don't. And coming out of high school, what I find interesting is that with Latham, I felt like he was more advanced as a pass blocker than he yeah. was as a run blocker coming out of high school. We didn't exactly see. Now, granted, he was playing guard. I think that's a little bit different. I think that you, you know, his high upside pass blocking ability on the edge doesn't always, that doesn't always translate inside, which is why I think he's better suited to play outside, in my opinion. There's some nuances and some things that you got to master as far as playing right tackle or playing left tackle, as far as pass protection, as far as your mechanics are concerned and things like that. If you're not, if you don't have good mechanics, you can be the greatest athlete in the world, but your upside as a pass blocker is going to be limited because a technician is going to be able to absolutely wear you out when they have any sort of athleticism to them. 
with Latham, you know, playing in a phone booth and pass blocking, the type of players that you're going against, your athleticism, your ability to get to the edge, you know, or, or keep somebody from getting the edge on you out there in space, you don't have that. You've got these big, bull-rushing, powerful interior defensive linemen that you're dealing with on a lot more consistent basis, and that's a completely different style. And I think that was kind of a tough transition. So from a pass-blocking perspective, I don't think he looked great last year. He looked okay, but I would expect him to be a much better pass blocker, which you wouldn't you wouldn't think that. You know, you think if a guy's really struggling to handle pass rush, you move him inside, and then he's playing between two players, and it's easier on him. He's not playing out there in space. That's not always the case. I think he'll be he'll look better being a a pass blocker at right tackle, and then being a run blocker, not you know having necessarily. I think that from a run blocking perspective, he looked pretty good last year. I wouldn't be surprised if he took a little bit of a step back there. About, I think he'll be a balanced player out there on the right side. And I also think that depending on what happens at left tackle, we'll talk about that here in just a second, I also think J.C. Latham could be a guy that goes from right tackle in his second year to left tackle, kind of the you know a Jonah Williams or an Evan Neal, you know, that type of transition, depending on what happens at left tackle this year. So you, do you want to talk about the left tackle position? Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I think we both agree with this and, and most people listening at, at the time we record this, let's just say, uh, I know I expect Tyler Steen to uh, commit to Alabama. That, that's what I project to happen. Of course, I don't know that if I knew that it was a secret, I wouldn't tell people, but I don't know that. And so it's not a secret to me because I don't know it, but I'm just saying I project it. I think Tyler Steen's going to choose Alabama. And my opinion, after watching his some tape of him at Vanderbilt uh, I believe uh, Tyler Steen would be the starting left tackle at Alabama um, and, and and that that's what so that's what I project the offensive line to look like right now left to right Steen Cohen McLaughlin Ekior Latham that, that 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 to me is what what I, I would expect today now that that may change by end of spring may change in fall camp but today that's what it looks like now I think the larger question is if it is Steen Will the offensive line be better than a year ago? My answer is probably, probably, because what, what I think we've done is improve uh, where we weren't great. We weren't great a year ago because the right tackle wasn't great. We weren't great a year ago because Cohen was new to playing and new to playing guard. Uh, we weren't great a year ago because Ekior was sort of banged up and never totally 100%. We weren't great at center because we had to change out guys, not just once, but three times. Because actually most of fall camp, Chris Owens was the center. Most of fall camp, we went into a week before the first game, I think we expected Chris Owens to be the center. Didn't work out that way. So we, we were constantly sort of changing who the center was. Ekior's banged up. Cohen's new to play. And right tackle wasn't ideal uh, in terms of the Alabama standard. Uh, in that sense, you take all that into account, yeah, I think this offensive line will be better uh, in part because of Tyler Steen. He's not going to be what Neil was. I, it would surprise me, Clint, if – I mean, while I expect Steen to be a good player, and I think he will, I don't think he's going to be good to the point that our go-to run play is the power play behind Steen, and that's the go-to play. I, I don't expect him to be that great. Uh, but what I do expect – even though I'm going to use this word that's not going to excite people, but it excites coaches. And what I expect is him to be adequate. He'll be good. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. 
And fine is a word that can get coaches excited. Uh, fans only care about if they're dominant, <laughs> you know, because that's fun. They're first round pick. Well, not not what you know. Evan Neal's don't don't grow on trees. Uh, I think Steen will be fine. I think Latham could be uh, could be a radical improvement at right tackle. Uh, I don't think he would be worse, uh, but I, I think we're improved at right tackle. And in the interior, what's exciting to me is they're all returning. Cohen's a veteran now. McLaughlin's somewhat of a veteran. Hopefully, Ekior will be 100% this fall, which we didn't really get from him last year. So left to right, I see it as an improved unit over last year, assuming Latham is fine and assuming Steen does commit to Alabama and we have a healthy interior, uh, then I think the unit as a whole could be better than a year ago. Yeah, I agree with you. And the reason that I believe that there's less exploitable pieces, yeah. that is the way that I view it. You know, you, you're taking a, a pretty big step down going from potentially the number one overall pick in Evan Neal, certainly a top five pick, to Tyler Steen. But the experience, the steadiness of the position – I think he, he he will remain a steady presence at left tackle if he commits to Alabama and comes to Alabama. If it's not him, probably going to be Amari Kite or Kendall Randolph. Those are the two guys who have been working at that spot. Or if Steen doesn't come, I wouldn't be completely floored or shocked, even though I don't think that they want to throw too much at J.C. Latham. I think going from right guard to right tackle is, you know, it, it's a transition, um, but I think it's a lot easier than going from right guard primarily to left tackle where everything's opposite and you're playing in space, even though that is where he played a lot in high school. So, I mean, it's not like it would be completely foreign to him, but just on the SEC level, it would be pretty foreign. But I want people to think about this. You can have four great offensive linemen, but if you have one poor offensive lineman, that's where teams are going to exploit you. Think yeah. about. I want you to think about this. I was so excited last year leading up to the Alabama-Mississippi State game because I wanted to see Will Anderson go against Charles Cross, who's one of the best left tackles in the country. He's going to probably be a top 10 pick, top 15 pick in the NFL draft this year. I was like, this. there's going to be fireworks here. I can't wait. I love whether it be from an NFL draft perspective on both players or whether it be from you know just a, just a great matchup. I couldn't wait to watch it. What ended up happening? Alabama's like, well... I mean, Will Anderson will still – he can beat any tackle in the country pretty consistently. You know, we, we're confident that he could win that battle enough if we needed him to. Or we could put Will Anderson on the left side and have him go against former Alabama right tackle or offensive tackle who was at right tackle, Scott Lashley, and he can just absolutely abuse him. And now we're putting pressure on the quarterback on every single snap where he drops back. That's what opposing defenses could do to Alabama. If you had a great pass rusher, don't have him going against Evan Neal, who's going to win his fair share of battles. Flip him to that other side where that other tackle is really struggling and just have him abuse him. And that's one matchup that you're going to get all night. That's where I think Alabama can improve because there's not as many highly exploitable pieces on the offensive line. They can't attack you. You're, I mean, it doesn't, if the pass rusher is immediately putting pressure on Bryce Young, good, who's going against the right tackle, whether it be Damian George, whether it be Chris Owens. If that's happening, it doesn't matter if the other four offensive linemen are doing a fantastic job or doing their job every play. The that's defense exactly. is still winning. So that's where I think Alabama can improve. Is they'll yeah. have five guys who are good enough where you can't exactly exploit them in the same way that the right tackle position was exploitable last year. No, no, it's harsh. It's harsh, but this is just a fact. Coaches will, will tell you this. 
your offensive line is only as good as your worst player. Yep. I mean, you're only as good as your worst player because, like you said, teams will scheme it easily. Um, and secondly, man, that whole speech, that whole rant, if you want to call it that, that you just said it is a great reminder of why offense is, is – it's harder to be successful on offense than it is on defense. Even with all these points being scored and yards, don't be fooled. It's harder to be good on offense, and, and it's a simple logical reason. If one guy fails on offense, the whole play is probably screwed unless you have a difference maker quarterback. And Alabama does, by the way. Um, but yeah, one guy can screw up on offense and the play is dead. On defense, that's not really the case. On defense, you can have a screw up and there's 10 other guys that can run to the ball. And it might it might not be a disaster. It's not helpful, but it might not be a disaster if a guy on defense screws up. You got 10 other guys running the ball. On offense, you get an offensive lineman that blocks the wrong guy, the play is dead, almost certainly. Uh, the quarterback has to bail you out at that point. Yep. It's so we spent over half an hour just talking pretty much about the offensive line, um, which – I could literally take this position by position and do the exact same thing. And to some degree, uh, we're, we are going to turn this into multiple episodes. And so you'll get our reaction over the next few days talking about the various, because this was one point that Nick Saban made was just the offensive line. And he did say, and I want to point out, I thought this was very big. The fact that he pointed out that Alabama, he feels like is running the football better right now than they were at this time last year a lot of people because it was a question that was asked about the running backs which i think this is also a reflection of the running backs but i also think it's a reflection of the offensive line because it doesn't matter how much talent you have back there you know brian robinson jr when you look at his productivity the guy rushed for almost 1400 yards and 14 touchdowns did alabama have a good run game last year not really they ranked outside the top 70 and really when you take the, I think they rushed for 2,250 yards last year and over 500 of that, almost a fourth, almost 25% of that came in two games against defenses that had schemes, three, three, five schemes in Cincinnati and Ole Miss that is very exploitable to run the football. So their offensive line really didn't ask to do a whole lot. My point with that is the fact that they're running the football better to me is a very positive sign because not only do you have, like I said, four of your top five guys either gone to the NFL or out, a lot of these younger guys are coming in, they're stepping up, and they're actually running the football. They're working in unison a little bit better, and they're able to create a, a more consistent run game, get a better push consistently than they did last year. I think that's a great sign. It'll take pressure off of Bryce Young. There's nothing better than when Bryce Young is in a situation where he's kind of, maybe he's not feeling it. Maybe he is struggling a little bit. When you can turn around and hand the football off in those moments consistently, and you know you're getting yardage that way, that takes so much pressure off of your quarterback. And if Alabama could have done that in the national championship against Georgia, I think there's a different outcome in that football game. They just well, they weren't able to do that. Georgia was able to rip off a couple of big runs, but all the pressure was pretty much on Bryce Young throwing to a bunch of receivers that didn't really have a lot of experience, were dropping balls. So I think it's a great sign that Alabama is running the football better and more consistently than they were at this time last year. So we'll wrap this episode up and then we'll get on to the you know, next few that we're going to be releasing over the next couple of days. But, Jimmy, do you have any more thoughts on the offensive line? Uh, no, I mean, uh, no, I think we covered it uh, really well. Obviously, uh, it's going to be helpful if we have some good depth because it's going to be hard to keep all five guys healthy. Uh, I do think guys like Damian George in particular 
Darian Dalcourt, uh, you know, you need a sixth guy and a seventh guy, you know, and, and then, then maybe you end up playing musical chairs, you know, in terms of who goes where in the event of an injury. But uh, you can't assume, hey, you got five guys you feel good about. You need to feel pretty good about a sixth guy, even a seventh guy. Uh, and, and hopefully you don't have to get into guys eight and nine because then you got a real problem up front in terms of health. But uh, I think Damian George is a guy that can play guard or tackle. So he'd be an excellent sixth guy. Darren Dalcourt has a lot of experience. I think we know we can win with Dalcourt. Uh, and, and who knows, maybe Dalcourt beats out Seth. But, uh, but it's nice having two centers. Centers, by the way, uh, centers, by the way, are pretty good at moving positions. I've always felt mentally, mentally, the center knows how to play the other spots. I mean, I mean, in terms of like, if you got to move a guy, I mean, a guard may struggle a tackle and a tackle may struggle inside moving to guard. But at least I think the center knows the spots. So if a guard gets hurt, a tackle gets hurt, maybe Seth moves out, maybe Dalcourt moves out. Uh, I think that's possible. I'd also throw in one more thing, even though I'm projecting Steen to commit to Alabama this week. I'm, uh, you know, I believe that'll be the case. If he doesn't, who will be the left tackle? Like you said, maybe it's J.C. Latham. Uh, I don't think, I'm just guessing here, I don't think the staff wants to do this, ideally. But if you don't get Steen, I'm not going to be shocked if the left tackle's J.B. on Cohen. That's a great point. And that's what, there's so many combinations. As you were talking about that, I was just going through it in my head. And I was like, okay, could you see J.C. Latham kick over to left tackle? And maybe even though I don't really want him to, maybe you kick Damian George back out to right tackle because – He's got starting material, and you got Ikior coming in at right guard. But, yeah, Cohen would 100%. And then Ikior could be slid in at left guard. And then you could put Damian George at right guard. You know, I think that would be fine. I think a lot of people will be surprised at how much improvement Damian George shows if he ends up getting the opportunity at any point to prove it. But I, like you were mentioning, I think it's very valuable. If you think about this, Alabama could have it starting five potentially – I want to continue to reiterate that. Tyler Steen at left tackle, Cohen at left guard, McLaughlin at center, Ikior at right guard, and J.C. Latham at right tackle. But then also, you could have a quality, known commodity at center in Darian Dalcourt. Mm -hmm. So you got some depth there. You got a guy like Damian George who could come in at guard if something happened to one of your guards. You might see Ikior kick to left guard and him start at right guard if something were to happen to Cohen maybe. But I think that you've got depth that one of the uh, a guy that you trust with starting experience with a lot of potential at guard. And also right now, Ken Randolph, Amari Kite. I think Ken Randolph ends up before it's all said and done back in the jumbo spot blocking tight end. I could be wrong. Uh, and if I am wrong, I will certainly come on this podcast and admit it. But Amari Kite right now is getting plenty of work at tackle with the first team unit. We saw him play a little bit of right tackle last year. You know, this is a guy that's a former top 100 prospect assuming that he sticks around, assuming all these guys stick around, after the starting unit is determined, Alabama could have a quality backup center, backup guard, and backup tackle in Amari Kite heading into next year. And so the depth will be in a really good spot at that point because then you got Terrence Ferguson, you've got you know, Tommy Brockermeyer, you got Jaden Roberts. All those guys can provide depth as well. But I think you have guys that you know, they've worked with the first-team unit, They've had experience in the past. They're veteran players, and I think they'll be very beneficial for the offensive line. So that's going to do it for this offensive line episode, which is what it quickly turned into. I've realized about 20 minutes in, I'm like, I got a feeling we're either going to get off this topic pretty quick, which I don't foresee us doing, 
or this is going to be an offensive line only, which I think is, you know, with, with everything up in the air, there's so much to break down and talk about. I don't think that's much of an issue. So we'll be back talking about some of the other positions. Jimmy, as always, I appreciate you hopping on here with me. And we will uh, talk again very soon, as in in the next few seconds. Uh, <laughs> appreciate you guys listening in. This has been the Bam on 3 Show, and I'm your host, Clint Lamb. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY in New York.